Just everybody say this, saying, he's never early, but he's always on time. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, for our light affliction. I, I, now look, I, I could preach right there, but let me just say this. For our light affliction, which means whatever you're going through right now, whatever affliction it is, God considers it light, right? The Bible says, is but for a moment. So whatever you're going through is not meant to last forever. Even COVID-19 is not meant to last forever. There'll be a vaccine and there'll be, we'll be back. But let me just tell you this. Whatever you're going through is light. It's only but a moment. And it's also employed. Because the Bible says it's what? It's, a, it's working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So what I'm going through is actually employed by me for something called exceeding eternal weight of glory. The word glory in Hebrew is the word kabod, K-A-B-O-D, and it means weight or heaviness, weight or heaviness. Typically, the word picture you would get from the word glory, in particular in the Old Testament, would mean talking about God's beauty. It would be talking, glory rather, be talking about his beauty, be talking about his, it'd be talking about his eternalness. But here in the New Testament, in the New Testament, there's a strong emphasis on the meaning of weight. Because it actually talks about the weight of glory or the weight or the heaviness of glory. So when referring to the kabod or the glory of God, we're speaking of the weight of God or how God actually weighs something. In biblical times, and even today you'll find this, but especially during those times, in order to find out the worth of something or the value of something, you had to weigh it. So they weigh the gold. And that would tell you how many ounces are still done that way today. Same thing with silver. Back then it was even jewels and, 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 and rubies and diamonds. They would weigh that and find the, found the weight of that. They would find the value or they, find the, they would find the actual worth of something. So if you're being weighed, the weight of the glory, if you're being weighed, you're being tested for your worth and your value. The title of my message this morning is Worth the Weight. Father, we thank you so very much for your precious anointing in this place, Lord God. Thank you for the expectancy of your word of God. I just felt it slept in this place, Lord God. You're ready to do something magnificent and awesome. There are breakthroughs, Lord God, ready to happen even today, even before the service is open, Lord God. Something great is going to happen for those here, those watching, Lord God. We give you praise and glory for it. Let revelation now flow freely from my lips to your people in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise one more time. Come on. Everybody say, worth the weight. Sort of a double entendre. Um, when we talk about weight, W-A-I-T, and weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. There's something in business uh, that you would hear, you've heard it before, I'm sure, uh, called intrinsic value. How many of you heard that, that phrase before? which just simply means in its most simple form, it just simply means that, that um, there's something more valuable about your, uh, about your business than the actual assets that, are in, that you have or the money you have in the bank. In other words, your brand is actually stronger than the money you have currently in your bank. So I would think of things like, like the intrinsic value of McDonald's. Everybody in the world 
knows McDonald's, so you pretty much put a McDonald's anywhere, and it's going to be successful because it has intrinsic value. It has intrinsic worth. It's beyond the actual net worth of the company. The name itself carries a certain weight to it, right? The United States of America has intrinsic value. We got a lot of debt, y'all. But we do just fine. Why? Because we have more worth in our name, our branding, and who we are as a nation to the rest of the world than we actually have in the bank account, if we can say it that way. Um, the ring on my finger has intrinsic value. It's my wedding ring. My wife has her wedding ring. Uh, it's more valuable to us uh, on a personal level. If we lost it, it would be something of great loss because, yes, money could replace it, but it can't replace the true value of what it means to her and I. Does that make sense to you? There's something I want to say to you this morning that has a lot to do with this because the Bible talks about that there's a treasure that's been hidden in the field and the, the man buys the whole property because he knows there's treasure that's there. He doesn't know where the treasure is, but he's worth, come on, it's worth the wait for him to go at night, at day, and dig that ground until he finds it because he knows there's incredible value in the ground. I want to declare this over you this morning. Get ready for the prophecy that you are of far more value to God than your personal assets, what's in your bank account, and what's on your resume. Somebody shout to God. The Bible says that you are the apple of God's eye. Let me explain to you what the apple of God's eye actually is. It's the pupil of your eye. And you know, the fun, fun, funny thing about the pupil of the eye is you got to get pretty close to see somebody's pupil. You know, it's kind of unnerving to look somebody in the eye. But God says, I want to get so close to you that when I see you, I can see the pupils of your eye. And you are the apple of my eye, which means what? If you get close enough to a person, you got the nerve to look them right in the eye, and you get really close to their eyeball, and you look right into that dark part of their pupil, that apple of their eye, you'll see a small image of you on the inside of them. I wish someone would hear the revelation what I'm just said right now. And the closer you get to God, come on, somebody, you see more of God in you and more of you are, the Bible says, you are the head, not the tail, above only and not beneath. The Bible says that you are a royal diadem. You are the crown. You are the, the, the gem set in the crown of God's crown. This is who you are. Let me make this statement. You will never know your true value. You will never know your true worth until you've been weighed. Until you've been weighed, until you've been proven, until you've been tested. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like God didn't want to help you achieve the very thing he asked you to do? Has everybody felt like, my God, he told me to do this, and now where is he? I need a breakthrough. I need a miracle. It's just like it's not happening. It's like I was so close, and all of a sudden, boom, the door got shut, or the relationship got broken off, or the money dried up, or something began to happen. How many has ever felt like that in your life? Lots of you. Let me say this to you. That's not, you're not, you're not, you're, you're in good company. Many people, first obsession of the word of God. But I remember my wife and I, we walked in the season of our lives just like that. Back in 1997, we felt led, actually called of God to go and start a church. And we ended up starting a church in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, we were there for about 18 months. We wanted to be there for 18 years. We wanted to be there for 36 years. We were really going to give our life to that. We felt God called us to go do that church and to plant that church and, and to see that city one for God. And, and it was way before this 
church was ever thought about here in Milwaukee. And so we were there and we were laboring and doing what we felt God called us to do. But one thing I noticed that the same anointing I felt when I was in my father's ministry, when I was doing what I was supposed to be doing in that in those departments and, 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 and preaching and teaching and doing youth ministry and doing music ministry and doing drama music and all that kind of stuff that we were doing, there was an anointing upon me to do it. There's no doubt about it. But as soon as I got there, it was like it just wasn't there. There was an anointing to preach, thank God, but there was no real anointing to build that church. It's like I could not find my footing. It was like the shoe that just wouldn't fit, even though I felt with all my heart and got confirmation that this is what we were supposed to do. And so we, I begged God, show me what I'm supposed to do, God. Where are you? Why would you call me out here for me to be by myself and to be alone? And where is your anointing? And where are the open doors? And where are the opportunities? And where are the people? Our church just wouldn't grow a little here, a little there, not much. We had a church of maybe 35 people or something like that. I can't remember, but it was a small group of people. And, and you know, small amount of time, it's hard to get a lot of people to know who you are. But there was just something I knew was missing. How many, how many, ever, how many just know you need to be honest with where you're at in life? You don't need to be faking it. Come on, somebody. Just be true with where you're at. I just knew God's blessing was not on it. But I didn't know why. I couldn't figure it out. And I began to cry out to God and ask God why. And he began to show me some things, but not particularly what I needed to know. And I'm just here to tell you, don't give up. God's going to give you your answer. And one day I'm preaching, and I'm up there preaching, and we had some visitors that day, which was awesome for us. Praise God. We were happy to have the visitors. There was like 10 of them. Wow. Praise God. Our church became a mega church. And one day, praise God, 10 more people. And so we were excited. I had a little pulpit and a little office off my, my little stage area. And so after the service, I went to, 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 to uh, take my Bible and place it on, my, on my, my desk and come back out and greet the people. And so as I go in there, the presence of God begins to meet me, church, in such a way it begins to overwhelm me. And I shut the door and I begin to weep, just weep uncontrollably. say, Lord, what is it? What is it you want? I had no idea. And I had a vision. In the vision, I saw a cloud. Out of the clouds, I saw arms extended from the cloud. They were all different ethnicities, all different colors. And then I heard voices within the cloud. The hands were extended. They were motioning to me like this, come. And I heard the voices say, please come. Come, please come. We need you here. We need you here. And then I heard God say, it's not here I want you. It's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, when you don't give up on God and say, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, my heart was here. But if your heart's there, I want to go where your heart is. Somebody else shout, yeah. If you're willing to do it God's way, God will open a door for you, and the rest is history. And here we are since 1999, and we ain't going nowhere. And by the way, we're just getting started. I don't care what it looks like in the world. I don't care what it looks like politically. I don't care what it looks like economically. I don't care what it looks like with COVID-19. This church is going to exceed. This church is going to succeed. This church is going to go where God has called it to go. We're going to win people to Jesus Christ like never before. Come on, church. Can you hear that online? That's a group of people saying, yes. Here's the principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9 says, for a great and effective door. Get the principle. For a great and effective door has been opened for me. Great and effective doors. Man, that's what we pray for. We want an open door. We want to see God do something fresh and new. An open door means something new. Stepping into another realm. Stepping into a new season. Stepping into the next part of our lives, right? He said it's actually effective 
and it's open. But the deal is this. There are many adversaries. And most people in the body of Christ cannot get past the adversary. They can't get past the spiritual attacks, the natural attacks. They can't get past the mental attacks. Church, let me just say, God will use an enemy to weigh you. He will use an enemy to test you. Without an enemy, there is no entering. There's always going to be a door. But without an enemy, there can be no entering in to the next season of your life. The very thing you've been fighting oftentimes is the very thing that will promote you into the next season of your life. I said the very thing. Y'all didn't hear me. That you've been fighting is the very thing that God's about to open a new door. He'll use it to open the door for you in your life. So I mean, I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. Sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's just a test you got to go through. And the test becomes adversarial to you. Psalms 138.8 says, The Lord will perfect, will make right, become your testimony, that which concerns me. The Lord will perfect, make right, become your testimony, that which concerns me. If you are concerned about debt and bills, God will perfect it. If you're concerned about health in your body, God will protect it, perfect it. If you're concerned about your marriage, God will perfect it. Wherever you are concerned, our God can flip it and turn your test into your greatest testimony. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. To be a conqueror, you have to have conquered something. So if the Bible calls us an overcomer, it means you had to overcome something. If the Bible calls you a victor, it means you had to have the victory over something. How many are ready to conquer? Have the victory. Come on, somebody. Overcome. Your victory is worth the weight you've endured. But don't let the weight of what you're going through make you wait any longer to have what God said you can have. I'm thinking about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they would not bow their knee. And there was an issued law in the land that said you got to bow your knee and you got to worship at the altar. Every time that the horn blows, all of the kingdom has to worship uh, toward the idol uh, of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, we will not bow our knee. They said, if you don't bow your knee, you're going to burn in the fire. But they said, we don't want to disrespect nobody, but we only bow our knee to one God, and that's Jehovah Yahweh and him alone. I wonder if we got some bold people in the house today watching us online today that no matter what the government says, if it takes away your right to worship your God, you'll stand up and say, go ahead and stoke the fire. Do what you got to do. Put me in prison. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on. We will not power our knee. Well, then you're going to have to burn Go ahead and stoke it up. We're going to stoke it up seven times hotter. How hot is hot? The first hot will kill you. Seven times just means seven times more of stoking the fire. But the devil always tries to intimidate you to make it feel worse than it is. 
They said, will you bow now? They said, we will not bow. Then throw them in. And they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. And the Bible says the only thing that got burned were the things that bound them in the first place. And it set them free. And they said, we thought we threw three men in, but there's a fourth man in the fire, and he looks like the Son of God. They felt the weight, and they felt the weight. Joseph felt the weight, and he felt the weight being lied about by his brothers because he had favor from his father with a coat of many colors, and they were jealous and mad at him because he was a dreamer, and, and he told his dreams, and maybe he shouldn't have, but that's what he did. And he ends up, uh, his brothers trying to make it look like that he was killed, and they threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery, left him for dead, his own brothers, his own family. He was feeling the weight of this promise that God had given him, and he did not understand. The Bible says he was sold into slavery, and then he went into Potiphar's house, and there he takes care of everything. He does everything perfect, and Potiphar goes on a vacation, and the wife comes on to him, and he says no, and this happened over and over again, and finally she got mad. And she cries, rape. This man raped me. And, of course, they throw him in to prison. He's feeling the weight, but he knows it's worth the weight. Somebody say amen. He's got a promise, but it's worth waiting on because he knows it's going to come to pass. And in prison there, left to die in a prison. And there God spared him by telling dreams and ministering with the prophetic anointing that he had. He didn't stop this ministry. He kept going and he, and he interprets dreams and one man got out and said about, there's a, the, the Pharaoh had a dream and said, there's a man in prison that I know. He can interpret your dream and it was Joseph. Somebody say amen. amen. God knows your name. God knows right where you're at. But he expects you to be faithful no matter what it looks like, where you're supposed to be. Because it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Somebody say amen. And he, he gets what? He gets taken out of prison, tells all that the Pharaoh dreamt, gives the interpretation of the dream, and he said, this is a great man, and gives him all of his kingdom, everything but his own position, he says, is yours. God promotes him in one hour of time. Jesus felt the weight, and Jesus felt the weight of what he was going through when he is now released to do ministry. He's baptized of his cousin John in the river Jordan and, and he comes up out of the water and the Bible says that the spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove and God's voice was heard throughout the land. He spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Giving affirmation to the son before everyone. And the first Ministry he has, as the Spirit says, I'm not going to take you down the street to the church that I know you want to go to and preach because got a lot of people over there, and they'll give you a big offering. I'm going to take you to the wilderness. The first area of responsibility he has is the wilderness. God takes him into the wilderness, and it's there he is tempted by the devil. Hey, the door is open. It's a great and effective door. It's about to lead you where you've never been before, but there are many adversaries. Jesus felt that weight, and Jesus felt that weight. And when he was in the wilderness, he was tempted three times of the devil. But the Bible says every single time, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And every time defeated the enemy, and he had to go for an opportune time. Are you ready to do that in your own life today? You better start speaking the word of God over your life. Why? Because it's worth the wait, and it's worth the wait. Look, we've got to learn to be at peace in our hearts, 
even when we know that our enemies, that, that, are, they're, that even when we know they're working against us, and I'm not talking about the devil, I'm talking about people, have set themselves up to be an enemy to you. Somebody who works against you, whether openly or behind your back. Well, I just want everybody to get along with me. I got news for you. You're working for the wrong crowd. You're either, you're either in this for God or you're in this for people. Which one are you going to please? I'm preaching real good now. But I just, everybody, everybody's my friend. You don't understand. There's somebody right now talking behind your back. You better get used to the fact that everybody loves you. I used to, I want everybody to love me. I used to think everybody loved me. Then I found out, nope, that's not the case. There's some people that hate my guts. There's some people that wish I was no longer around. You've got to learn that even when you're going through it, discerning who's who, but even when you know that there are those that don't like you and those that wish you are to fail, there's something God has in it for you. Psalms 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Who's going to be your shepherd? Is it going to be them or God? I won't want if you're my shepherd. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restore my soul. Look what God will do for you. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And when you go into the path of righteousness, not everybody's going to like you. That's why the next part says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me in the path of righteousness, and that path is right what, where? The valley of the shadow of death. But even though I go there, I will fear no evil. My wife prophetically said it today and cast that devil out of this church and those watching us online and said this fear has got to go. It can't stand our lives. Fear not. 365 times is in your Bible. Fear not. One for every day of your life. Though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my They said enemies, if you're watching. Enemies. I got to get used to the fact that people don't like me, that oppose me. They're still going to watch me succeed. They're still going to be there when I get to my place of rest. Hey, I might be in the valley of the shadow of death, but I can find great ease. Why? He's with me, and he'll promote me. My cup runs over. My cup runs over. I got a word for some church people too. I felt by the Spirit of God. You're making people in the church your enemy. That's not God. God says deal with that issue. God says deal with that issue. Love people. Help them understand, but don't make them your enemy. That's your brother. That's your sister. Watch me. That's your brother. That's your sister. The enemy comes to split and divide. Satan comes to divide things up. When you got a problem with your brother and sister, that's the devil, that's not God? Well, it's confirmed everything I felt, brother. It just confirms it. No, it don't confirm nothing. It confirms that you're immature. That's what it confirms. A mature person deals with the issue and gets it under the blood. Quit being so immature. I love you, but I told you I'm not after your pat on the back anymore. Tell it like it is, Pruitt. Just say, tell it like it is, Pastor. Yes, I think I will. And he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Church, we've got to take this a step further. You've got to start putting your enemies' names on your prayer list. <gasps> 
Someone else said, oh, trust me, Pastor, they are. I pray over them every day. Father, get them. Lord, strike them down. Oh, God, I love them. But, Lord, in the name of Jesus, let a volt of lightning come out of the sky. They said there's going to be a cloud in the sky this afternoon, Lord. I saw them in the weather report. Let a bolt of lightning hit them, Lord God. I know they love you. Let them see you now. In Jesus' name. God, I call for the she-bears to come out. That's what one prophet said. Let the she-bears come out and maul them to death. That's what Elijah prayed, praise God. Yeah, even Elijah prayed that. God didn't answer it. I don't think, did he answer it? He might have answered that one. Sometimes God gets an attitude. You never know with God. So make sure you pray the right prayer. Amen. But in the New Testament, we're, we're supposed, the Bible says we're to love our enemies. Who's your enemy? Those who oppose you. Love your enemies. Don't curse them. Bless them. One clap. One clap. And he halfway didn't believe it. Praise God. He's like, I better do something here. I'm an elder. Hallelujah. I'm, just kidding. I'm kidding. It's easy when you know. <laughs> that you bless them because the day is going to come where they're going to need that blessing. Well, Lord, let somebody else bless them. No, because in the process of you blessing them, you're going to get healed. This thing's going to become nothing to you. And in the process of you blessing them, it's going to do what? It's actually going to bless them. If they get blessed, there's a chance for reconciliation or for them to go away. But the bottom line is if you bless them, it's like a Joseph situation. He didn't curse his family. He blessed his family, and in the end, he was in a position to truly bless his family. Because Joseph knew the weight. He felt the weight. He'd been through the weight, and now they're, they're, they're in their weight, and they're feeling the weight. And so he says, now I can bless. Matthew 5, 11 says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, Jesus said. Man, this is good. I, gotta, I remind myself and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Have you ever had anybody say something falsely against you? Man, I have. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Man, the old guy comes out of me. It's fight or flight. Come on, someone say amen. And nine times out of ten with me, it's going to be fight. Them fighting words, you say something against me, you say something against my family. Lord, that's the real test right there. I'll let you might say it against me, but never against my children or my wife. I'll cut you, I'll cut you. I'm a cutting Christian, praise God. Y'all smiling, looking, <laughs> but you saw, the same is true for you too. Say something about your wife or your children or your mother or your father. Yeah. We all the same. Preacher don't matter nothing. That's just a, that's a title God gives you, but that don't mean you still got to walk it out like everybody else. Oh, yeah. I got to remind myself, oh, wait a second. They're not really my enemy because the Bible says flesh and blood. I don't wrestle against that, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So when I get in arguments against them, when I talk behind their back because I think I'm right and they're wrong, I'm now coming in alignment with powers that be that are dark forces and now the enemy's using me. And I got a responsibility. If he uses me, I could lead other people to, down the same path. I've had people come to me. I had no issues with people. They come to me. Did you hear the brother so-and-so did such and such thing? No, I didn't. Yeah, and did you also know that they did? Next thing you know, I trusted the people that were telling me. Next thing you know, I got a problem with these people. I see them in the grocery store. 
come to church. I'm like, I'm going the other way. Why? I got their number. I know who they are. I don't know them, don't know what they did and didn't do, but somebody planted one little seed in my mind. I don't even know why I'm on all this. These saints are perfected in here. It's probably someone watching me online. <laughs> that needs to hear this today. Or maybe it might be five or six people in the room too. Could be that too. And now I got an issue with somebody that I don't even really know. Has that ever happened to you? What's going on? I'm aligning myself with darkness. That's never God's best. And if you're a leader in this church, you got to learn to shut that down immediately. Oh, grab their hands. Let's pray. Let's pray right in the name of Jesus. And God will fix the problems. He said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Say all kinds of men are evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is a reward linked. There's a reward linked to the fact that I, I don't allow myself to get involved in that. But I do what? I rejoice when I've been persecuted. How about this? Matthew 5, uh, verse 43. Jesus, he says, you have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How many would rather slap them instead? Just get ahead, get over with, slap them real quick in the name of Jesus. Father, forgive me. Like you're actually asking God to forgive you as you slap them. Lord, forgive me. Right? That seems easier. It really does. But that's not God's plan. Why am I saying this? I'm going this direction because I'm tired of you in the W-A-I-T of where you're supposed to be. You're still feeling the W-E-I-G-H-T. Uh, you're feeling the weight. But you've been in the W-A-I-T for so long, all you got is the weight. And the reason why you're still in the W-A-I-T weight is because you have not passed this test. Is this okay preaching like this today? Pass the test. You're being weighed. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, he said, you've been, you've, been, you've been weighed in the scales and you've been found wanting. I put you in the scale. I put you in the test. And you came up short. I can't bless you. I cannot. Because you won't pass the simplest of tests. Let me tell you what the enemy wants to do while you're in the process of waiting for your breakthrough. I love the song we sang. Great choice. He wants to shame you. He wants to embarrass you. He wants to humiliate you with where you're at. We don't want people to see us when we're broken. I don't. I want them to see me always victorious. I want to be a hero. That's prideful, I know, but that's what I want to be. I want to be somebody's hero. I don't want people to see me broken down. We don't want them to see our real problems. We don't want them to know what's really going on behind closed doors. It's embarrassing. I don't get why people put their dirty laundry out there on social media. I don't even understand that kind of world. I guess they don't have much shame, I guess. But for me, no way. First of all, you never want to see that come out of me. That junk, you'll never see. I'll prove it. That ain't happening. But I have been open with you all. I have. You've seen my mistakes. I've been open about what I've done and haven't done to the best of my ability. Why? Because I feel like if I can, if I can grow from that, I can teach you not to go through the same stuff I've been through. I've never once said I was a perfect pastor. Close, but not perfect. But I've been broken a time or two. I've messed up a couple times. Done a lot of good, too. Don't get me wrong. 
but I, I'm, I'm fair. I'm honest about the report of my life. Why? Because I realize that all of it brings glory to God. If I take the shame out, take the embarrassment out, the devil trying to take me down the road, and I don't tell anybody my problems because I'm too embarrassed to share with them what's going on in my world, then I have no accountability. If i got no accountability, I've got no help. If I've got no help, I can't get to where I'm supposed to go. Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.16, this is Paul. He says, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. He said, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed or embarrassed of my chain. He knew I was in prison. Most of the body of Christ, he was saying, went away from me. They were ashamed of me because I was in prison. After all, I'm supposed to be the apostle Paul, the great one, writing the things that God needs, God needs to tell his people. Signs, wonders, and miracles follow my ministry. And here I am. I can't even fight the justice system. I'm sitting in a jail cell somewhere. Sometimes when you look at believers and you see them at their, their worst place, you begin to judge them and say, oh, look, God must have forsaken them. They must have done something bad or wrong. That's the reason why they're going through that test. That's the reason why they're going through that mess in their life. But you don't recognize God is putting them in the balance. God is weighing them to show, to show out what? To get the gold to come out, to get the silver to come out, to get the rubies to come out. He wants the best to come out. Got one guy. Can't even pronounce his name on this arrest. We just call him the big O here. Oh, oh, he's the only one that did not walk away from me when I was put in prison. Everybody else did. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love this because, I love it so much because, you know, sometimes when all we have is a negative report, that's all we begin to see and say. But he finds good. He finds a place. I can still praise God here. I might be crushed, but I'm not out. I'm not down. I'm not destroyed. Always caring about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I don't live for myself. The moment I live for myself, I miss all my opportunities from God. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. This whole thing is about the fight over your faith. If you can take your faith, you will not believe God to do what God's called you to do. Paul was only trying to obey God. Only trying to do what God told him to do. And now he has the weight of a chain around his neck, around his hands, and around his feet. But he did what? He rejoiced. That's when he wrote those words. But I rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. No matter what you're going through. You all, you look, you didn't, you've not had a bad day like that. Maybe somebody has. But very few people have ever been put in a prison, locked up for something you didn't do, beaten three times your back with 39 stripes each time, shipwrecked, thrown to the lions, stoned to death, had to be raised back to the, from the dead. Very few people walk that kind of life. Somebody looked at you wrong, I'm having a bad day. I'm suffering for the gospel because two people talked about me on Facebook. We got to come up a little higher than that. Joy up. Everybody say, I'm going to joy up. 
You got to joy up when you're in a waiting period. Don't let the time defeat you. I finish with this. James 1, 2 says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the weighing, the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God doesn't want you to lack not even one thing. Let patience have its perfect work. How? By joying up. I'm going to be joyful. I realize, I recognize I'm going through a test right now. I'm being weighed down. But I'm not going to be held back for the rest of my life.